0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most diehard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our great friends at my bookie we are only one week away from bowl season so make sure to jump in at my bookie while you still can i know a lot of you have but i also know there's probably some of you that have been on the fence and now is the time to jump off that fence and sign up with my bookie today when you do so just go to mybookie.ag use our promo code uga and you get a 50 percent bonus on your first deposit tough to beat that guy so go ahead and take advantage of that deal before the 2023 season is over But I am your host, Tyler, and I am back again today, and I feel a little aimless. I'm not going to lie to you guys. It's weird, man. The first week or two without a game to preview, without even any picks to make, it's weird. I love doing this podcast. I love producing this content for you guys. I love talking Georgia football. But during the season, it is a grind, doing four episodes a week, grinding all the tape, putting all the agendas together, recording all the episodes, Editing all the episodes, uploading all the episodes. And this is not to complain. Again, I love doing this podcast, but during the season, I don't have a second to breathe during the week. I'm, I'm going 1,000 miles an hour, and I love that. I'm all in on college football, and I love every second of that. Breaking down games, making picks, all of that stuff. If you're going to be busy, being busy with something like that, I can take that. So here we are now, the first week without a game to preview, without picks to make, and I kind of don't know what to do with myself, especially coming off a heartbreaking, at least for me, a heartbreaking loss. I'm sure for most of you out there too, a heartbreaking loss, the way that went down, missing on the playoffs, when, especially when you think that you are still one of the best four teams and probably still the best team in the country. is kind of like, what do I do with myself? What do I do with my time? I mean, of course, we're going to keep putting content out for you guys, but then the question becomes, okay, what do we talk about? What kind of content are we putting out there? And to be perfectly honest with you guys, My motivation has not exactly been there this week really to do anything like, oh, I don't know, get out of bed, go to the gym, go running, go to work. I've been trying to watch college basketball, which you guys know I love, trying to get caught up on some of the games that I I haven't been able to watch as we're trying to get ready for the SEC championship game in the last couple weeks of the season, that stretch run. But I find myself like just completely spacing out, just like staring at the TV like I'm staring at this screen with nothing going on in my brain. So it's been a rough week, I know not just for me, I know for all of you out there as well, so I think hard about, okay, what do we want to talk about today on this episode? I don't want to leave you guys hanging. And I had one idea, I think we're going to push that off to next week, I'm not going to abandon it, but we'll just have to push it off to next week, because yesterday, as I know all of you saw, I hope you've seen it at this point, pretty sure if you're listening to this podcast, you've seen it at this point, the official Georgia 2024 football schedule has been leaked. I guess it's not official officials, the SEC hasn't put its stamp of approval on it, but it looks legit, I think it's legit, and it's going to be officially, officially released next Wednesday, but we're going to take it and we're going to run with it, and I have some thoughts on the schedule, and I figured that would be a good place to start today's episode, I have a couple other things I want to talk about, obviously we have some news in the transfer portal, I think we're up to 12 players now that have hit the transfer portal as I sit here recording this episode, and there've also been some other players from other teams, that if it's a transfer portal, that I would love for us to get in on, and I don't know, maybe actually land, so we'll talk about that as well, but I do want to start with the 2024 Georgia football schedule. We already knew, at least, it had been reported. We weren't for sure, for sure, but when a guy like Chris Lowe, with his reputation from ESPN, longtime SEC writer, when a guy like that reports that Georgia and Alabama are going to be playing on September 28th and Georgia and Texas are going to be playing on October 19th, you tend to put a lot of credibility in that. So I assumed that that was correct, but we didn't know the rest of the schedule. The one game that I was about 99% confident that I felt I knew when we were going to play it was the Kentucky game, the game in Lexington this year. So what I did, guys, is I went through our schedule. I looked at our non-conference schedule and where we already had these non-conference games scheduled. And I went through all the other teams that were playing in the SEC and looked at their non-conference schedule. And I cross-referenced those to see if there were any common open weeks. And what I found was that September 14th, we have no one on the schedule. We had no non-conference game that week, which is the third week of the season. And the only other team in the SEC that is on our schedule for next season, because we already knew the teams we were playing, we just didn't know when we were playing them. And the only team that I knew we were playing that did not have a non-conference game scheduled for week three was Kentucky. So I was 99% sure that game was going to be the third week of the season, which is weird because we don't ever play Kentucky in September. One year, I don't know, man. It was—I feel like it was about a decade or so ago. Now at this point, we played them in like midish October and that's when the horses are running there at Keeneland, and that was a cool experience. Usually we play them in, in November, typically. So I've only been up there one time for a Georgia-Kentucky game. I've been there every every game that we played there for, I don't know, man, 14-ish years. I want to say I've been up there the last seven times we played them in Lexington, and if my memory serves me correctly, only one of those games was an October game. Not a single one has been in September that I have been to, so that's going to be different it's gonna be actually i'm cool with that usually when you play kentucky in november it's going to be cold last year it was frigid you guys know i like to run i do that it's a game day tradition for me every saturday morning i get up and do my long run for the week and i rarely rarely it's extraordinarily rare for me to not run outside unless it's like pouring down rain and like really cold has to be like those two things usually if it's cold I'm fine I just bundle up and I go run I have run in like you know 25 30 degree weather this morning in Athens it was actually like 29 degrees so you know you just put on a you put on some tights you put on the shorts you put on a couple layers up top put on the beanie gotta protect that old bald head right the chrome dome and then you put on some gloves and you're good well it was so cold last year that I stepped outside I started running for about, I don't know, uh, a minute and a half, and then I turned right back around, went back in the hotel, and I said, nah, man, not happening, not happening. Because not only was it cold, it was incredibly windy. I was like getting blown off the sidewalk. So I went, went back up and ran the treadmill, which I loathe. I cannot stand it. So usually it's very cold is my point. So it's gonna be different. It's not gonna be cold in Lexington. I don't know if I've ever been to a game against Kentucky in Lexington where it wasn't cold but I'm kind of excited about it that that's a unique experience I'm also excited that I did predict that correctly because I booked that hotel as soon as they opened like a couple months ago because I knew like that's got to be the team we're playing that weekend and I got that for a good price because no one else like the hotels didn't know that we were being playing Kentucky that weekend that was nice for a season that's otherwise going to be wildly expensive with some of these road trips, and if we are fortunate enough to get into the playoff, now we're going to have this 12-team playoff, we might be playing a couple rounds, and that's just going to be man, it's going to be a lot of money. So it's nice to be able to save a little money on that trip. And I love Lexington. It's one of my favorite road trips. I like going to the KSR bar, like getting like the frozen bourbon drinks they have at a couple different places up there, including the KSR bar, because yes, I am 17 years old. And if you give me a slushie of any sort, I'm going to be a very happy old man. And it's just a cool town. I got my spots I like to go to there. So I'm excited for that game. Now, from a competitive standpoint, it's going to be an interesting one, right? Because now we know that Brought Vandegrift has transferred to Kentucky, as was rumored for the past couple months or a month-ish or so, I guess. It is indeed the case now. He is going to be wearing the blue and white of the Kentucky Wildcats, and we're going to be playing him early, his very first SEC game. as I'm assuming he's going to be the starting quarterback. I guess we'll have to see how that plays out, but I would assume right now he's going to win that job. His first start against an SEC opponent will be against the Georgia Bulldogs. So that is going to be a very interesting storyline, and there's always the question of how much does that matter? How, how much more difficult does it make it to play a team like Kentucky when their starting quarterback probably will be a guy that was on your team learning your offense for the past three seasons? Does he have some inside knowledge? You're going to pass that knowledge on to their coaching staff. I mean, all that's true. Yeah, he'll probably do a lot of that. I, I don't fault him for that. I mean, good luck to Brock except for that week. But as Kirby always says, I mean, yes, it's, it does give them some insight into what we like to do, but we play them every year. They have a very good understanding of what we like to do anyway, and we're going to change up signs. We'll change up some of those things that he might have some insight into, and they, they don't know exactly when we're going to be calling plays. So I don't know how much of an, of an impact that is, how much of an advantage that's going to be. I think the biggest advantage Kentucky might have, Brock might have in that game, is that he's gone up against our defense so much in practice, right? He knows what we like to do, knows... The, the, the looks that we like to throw out there. He knows the little tendencies that we have. And I don't think that is worthless. I think that probably has some value to Kentucky in that game. But again, I don't think it's enough for them to be able to overcome this significant talent gap that still exists between those two programs. And let's be real, will always exist between those two programs, at least as long as Kirby Smart is running our show. But that'll be a fun trip. And then after Kentucky, the next game that we will play on September 28th, will be in Tuscaloosa, Alabama against, yes, the Alabama Crimson Tide. Now, fortunately, I was I was very happy to see that we will have a bye between Kentucky and Alabama. I'm sure when Alabama's schedule is leaked and when it comes out next week, they will also have a bye. September 21st, the week before they play us, I can almost guarantee you that is going to happen because of course it's going to happen. So I do not expect that to be an edge for us, but at least we're not at a disadvantage like Bama gets a bye and we don't have a bye coming to that big game in Tuscaloosa and I'm freaking pumped for that game guys like I want to tee it up right now in Tuscaloosa I was telling my buddies this week that I and I right now I think I mean this I might not mean in a a couple weeks but right now I would literally chop my right arm off for a chance to see us beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa next year think how sweet that would be, guys. Now, is that going to make up for what happened this year, not getting the playoff? No, it's not. Now, it would certainly help us get into next year's playoff. That would be a big boon to our chances in doing so. But, man, being able to celebrate on their field in Tuscaloosa like that, that would be an incredible feeling. I've never been to a game in Tuscaloosa that we've actually won. I did not go to the 2007 game because I was still in college. And the only time we've played there since then was 2020. I did go to that game, but as we all know, didn't work out in our favor. It's a great first half not such a great second half other than a playoff game I don't know if there has been a game in recent memory outside of I would say maybe the Tennessee game at home last year that I have wanted to win more than I want to win that game in Tuscaloosa next year I mean Tennessee last year the way they were talking so much trash they were number one in the first CFP rankings that year last year and uh, coming to that game of well, people were just like completely discounting our chance to win that game so the way that we not only won the game but kind of dominated that game in my opinion That was beautiful, and I wanted to win that game so, so very badly. Obviously, playoff games, national championships, you want to win more than than any of these regular season games, but outside of that Tennessee game last year, I don't know, man. It's been a minute since I've wanted to win a game as badly as I want to win that game next year in Tuscaloosa. So I'm really excited that that game, as Chris Lowe reported, is indeed going to be very early in the season, the first month of the season. Let's go. I'm freaking pumped about that. I did, however, find it interesting that we are playing Alabama and Auburn in back-to-back weeks. Now, I know Auburn is not, like, the best version of Auburn right now. I do expect them to probably be a little bit better next year. We'll see what they do in the transfer portal. If they can find themselves a quarterback, we'll see what happens there. They need to do that desperately. This is not me whining about it. I don't care. We should beat Auburn at home, whatever. I just find it rich. I kind of find it ironic how the SEC has bent over backwards to move the Georgia-Auburn game from its traditional spot in November up to early October to help Auburn avoid having to play Georgia and Alabama, either in back-to-back weeks or in like two out of three weeks. They, of course, did Auburn that solid, but as as we all know, they're not going to do Georgia the solid. We, we're the ones that bend over backwards to make sure that we're able to accommodate other teams. And the SEC can accommodate other teams like Auburn, like having us play in Auburn two years in a row and then moving our traditional spot from November to early October and then also having to make us move our traditional game against Tennessee, which is traditionally in early October into November, we were the ones had to give up something. Auburn gave up nothing. They got what they wanted. That never really happens for us when it comes to things like that with the SEC. So again, I'm not complaining, whatever. I mean, I'm not scared of Auburn. I just find it a little ironic. Then we have Mississippi State on October 12th before a trip to Austin, Texas on October 19th. Again, as Chris Lowe reported. A couple of things here. I do want to say this. I'll give the SEC credit here before I bash them, they did do a good job of balancing out our schedule, we don't really have a brutal stretch, at least on paper right now, we'll see how all these teams turn out obviously next year, but right now on paper sitting here on December 7th, 2023, on paper there's not really a brutal stretch where it's like, whoa, okay, uh, that's a tough three-week stretch, now it is a t- very difficult schedule playing Clemson in Atlanta week one, playing at Alabama, at Texas, at Ole Miss, that's a tough schedule but there aren't any like three-week stretches where it's like, okay, at Alabama, Tennessee at home, at Texas. We don't have a stretch like that. They did a, a pretty good job, in my opinion, of balancing it out. You know, we play at Alabama, then we get to Auburn at home, Mississippi State at home, then we do go to two Texas, then we have a bye week, Florida, then we go to Ole Miss, come home, Tennessee, UMass, Georgia Tech. So I, I, as far as the composition of the schedule, I thought the SEC did a good job there. Now, did they give us a, a pretty tough draw? Yeah, they did, but that's that's the SEC now, man. That's how it's going to be. So I will give the SEC some props there. However, I cannot, for the life of me, understand the thought process of putting the Georgia-Texas game, a game of that magnitude, on the same weekend that the F1 U.S. Grand Prix, the biggest F1 race in the United States of America, the same weekend that that will be in Austin. The level of incompetence involved in making that decision is truly staggering. First off, the SEC should have never put a single Texas home game that same weekend. Because I don't know if you guys are familiar with this F1 race. I'm not really an F1 guy. I mean, I just... I've done the research because, hey, I'm trying to book a hotel and get some flights there. The F1 race in Austin last year brought in over 400,000 people to Austin. And while, yes, Austin is a big city and it is, it is a metropolis, they do have a lot of hotels, we you're talking about 400,000 people, plus all the Texas fans who want to try to come in for that game, plus all the Georgia fans who definitely want to make that trip, because we travel as well as any fan base that I have come across, it creates a gigantic cluster, you know what and it is an absolute slap in the face to college football fans, because we are now in a position where I'm going to have to sell a kidney, maybe a pancreas, might have to even sell a lung, who knows, to be able to go to that game. I mean, guys, right now, if you haven't looked at the prices, we're talking about a 5k weekend minimum for a couple, for me and my wife. This will be 5k minimum, and I'm a guy, you you guys know I go to all these games, right? So I, over the years, have Developed the skill to be able to try to predict when these games are going to be played, and I try my very best to go ahead and schedule refundable hotels for every possible weekend that it could be played. If if you can, sometimes those hotels aren't available. A lot of these uh, towns like Tuscaloosa, for example, they're smart. I give them credit. They're like it's a it's a football town. So they they know like we're not going to set our prices and, and make our rooms available until we know the actual schedule, so we can set our prices accordingly and gouge everyone. So that's going to happen in Tuscaloosa. It, it always happens in places like that. But I had every possible weekend that we could play Texas. I looked at their non-conference schedule, our non-conference schedule. I looked at when they traditionally play Oklahoma, when we traditionally play like Florida, when we play Tennessee now, Auburn, those things. And I had narrowed it down to a couple of weekends. And I booked every one of those weekends that I thought I could possibly be, including the weekend that we're actually playing in on October 19th. However, when I tried to book that weekend October 19th, this is like two months ago, by the way, two, three months ago, maybe even. And that even then, that weekend was more than twice as expensive as every other weekend. So I'm sitting there saying, oh my God, I, I hope we don't play it that weekend. And I was just curious, like, why is this weekend so much more expensive? Why are there already so many hotels sold out? Why can I not find the nice hotels, the good hotels that I want to stay at this weekend I can find them all the other surrounding weekends? So I looked it up. And it's like, oh, they have one race. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Well, let's just let's just hope it's not that weekend. The SEC couldn't possibly be dumb enough to put it on that weekend, Right. Wrong. That is exactly what they did. Now the airfare is the tough part because it's tough to book that. I mean, now you can get e-credits and stuff, but it's still tough to book that without knowing when the game is gonna be. So I was waiting closely. And I and I waited, I saw the reports that Chris Lowe leaked uh put out there what a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, something like that. And so I tried to book flights then, but even then, guys, they were astronomical. I mean, we're talking five thousand. And even once you get there, you spend all the money for, for that weekend. You're going to have to deal with insane crowds. Every restaurant, every bar is going to be packed to the brim. And it just sucks for a game that I was so looking forward to go to. I love going to these games and I especially love going to places I've never been. I've I've been to Austin, have not been there for a Georgia football game or a football game of any sort. So I was freaking pumped. I know everyone's like, man, we have to play at Texas. I was like, hell yeah, we get to play at Texas. I was excited about it. Now, not so much because I'm just not sure it's going to be worth the money. So it's just a slap in the face to fans. I mean, they're, they're with this and now the 12-team playoff, I and mean, I am a, a proponent of the 12-team playoff, but if you're not one of those teams that's a first-round buy, which, I mean, I hope we are more often than not, but there's probably going to be some years where we're not. Like this year, we would be in, but we would not have a first-round buy. We're going to now have to shell even more money than we already do for the postseason. And you factor in, okay, we're at Texas, at Alabama, which I know we can drive to, but the hotels are going to be astronomical. At Ole Miss, hotels are going to be astronomical. I, I have a hotel book in, in, in Oxford. I have for a little while, but I would like to be closer to the square And those hotels have not been open. They still are not open. I know when they open, when the schedule is released, they're going to be crazy expensive. So it's just a kick in the gut. And it's just baffling, man. It's truly baffling to me that the people in the SEC office, you would like to get the benefit of the doubt and you want to think that they're intelligent people. It's baffling how they either A, didn't know that the F1 race was that weekend. I find that hard to believe. You had to know. So if you had to know... What are you possibly thinking? Putting any Texas home game that weekend, let alone a game of this magnitude, when we haven't played in Austin since like the 1950s, I think? Yeah, I'm looking here, 1958. We haven't played there in that long, and it very well could be a game between the last two national champions. And you're going to put that game on that weekend? You're going to do that to the fans? I mean, hell, at this point, where is the team going to stay? Unless they were given advanced knowledge of the schedule, so they could go ahead and, and book the hotels, I don't even know if they're gonna be able to find a hotel, a decent hotel for the team to stay at. It's just wild, man. It's just wild. And as you can tell, I'm i uh, I'm a little worked up about it. But anyway, at Texas, then we do get a bye week after Texas. Nice going to Florida. I was curious would we would be keep that bye week before Florida, as we have had for a while now, and we have, and that's great. So we have Florida, then we have Ole Miss, which might be a, a little bit of a trap game because everyone right now is gonna at. Alabama at Texas even Clemson week one in Atlanta no one's really talking as much about Ole Miss now I know that we beat the holy hell out of Ole Miss a couple of weeks ago so that's fresh in everyone's mind but they're going to be bringing a lot back Jackson Dart is coming back Quinshaw Juckins is going to be back and that's going to be in Oxford now that stadium is not big it's if you've been there you know what I'm talking about it's not an intimidating environment it is a it is kind of like a country club type environment but it's still on the road and when Georgia comes in town with the success that we have had in the past three or so years and the fact also that we just never really p- play there. Last time we played there was 2016 and yeah, that's another reason I'm excited about that game. I want to get that taste out of my mouth. That's one of, the, that's one of the games that we have not really gotten revenge for yet. Yeah, we beat the hell out of Ole Miss this year. I want to do that in their stadium, at their place, in Vault hemingway but if there is a trap game on the schedule, it might be that, and I, I think that game, I think Ole Miss is going to be pretty good next year, so that game will probably have more attention on it than maybe like a, maybe Mississippi State could be a trap game, maybe Auburn could be a trap game, but when you sandwich Ole Miss between Florida and then home game against Tennessee, that could be a tricky spot. And I have mixed feelings about going to Oxford for games, I've been there twice for games, and it's a it's a weird place, it's, it's like a quintessential southern experience, I will give it that, I enjoyed that. But I remember the first time I went there, was it 2010-ish, 11? I don't know, man. I can't remember. It was, yeah, something like that. And I got there, and I went to what I thought was like, quote, unquote, their downtown. And it's like, literally, if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. It's just a square. It's like Mayberry. That's what it reminded me. It was like Mayberry Town Square. And there's some good restaurants. There's some good bars. You hang up on the, hang on the balcony, and it's like the second level, and you can sip some drinks and have a good old, like, again, quintessential Southern time. But you're packing all these people in this small little area. But I am excited because it's been seven years. Be, I guess it has been eight years since we have gone there by the time we actually go there. So I do think that will be a lot of fun. Uh, it's always kind of fun playing the game of like, okay, where's the next gas station? You're driving on the interstate, getting there. Because there's just not much there in Mississippi. You're like, no offense, Mississippi, there's just not much. You go by all these. If you've driven that way, you know what I'm talking about. You go past all these exits and you look at the, like, the road signs. Okay, is, you know, is there a gas station here? Is there a restaurant here? Like, what do we have? And you, you can go by exit after exit after exit without seeing the gas station. You're like, okay, finally, we found one. We're not going to run out of gas. We're going to make it. But that'll be a fun one. Then we have Tennessee at home, UMass, Georgia Tech. So we have three home games to close out the season. We, it's another year where we only have six home games. It's another, in my opinion, subpar home schedule, which has kind of been par for the course over the last couple of years. We've got Tennessee Tech at home. We've got Mississippi State at home. We've got Auburn at home. We've got Tennessee at home, UMass, and Georgia Tech. So I know like, traditionally you look and say oh man you get Auburn at home you get Tennessee at home you get Georgia Tech at home like those are three premier opponents well maybe once upon a time are they right now Tennessee is up from where they were you know in the past 10-15 years but I mean Auburn we still, that still remains to be seen how good they're going to be next year Tech has improved under Brent Key but it's still not a premier team I know those are some rivals of ours but I, I mean when you consider that we have Tennessee Tech and UMass thrown in there and Mississippi State And then on the road, we have at Alabama, at Texas, at Ole Miss, at Kentucky. Once again, our road slate is far more appealing than our home slate is. And then you throw in the Clemson game, which could be a home game. It's in Atlanta. Here's what I'll say about the the game in Atlanta. When we play a neutral site game in Florida every year, in Jacksonville every year against Florida, and now we have this expanded playoff, where we're going to have even more neutral site games in the postseason, along with a potential neutral site game in Atlanta in the SEC championship game, I am done with neutral site regular season games outside of Jacksonville. We do not need to be playing anyone, any sort of kickoff classic in Atlanta, in Charlotte. I don't want to see it, man. I don't want, like, we need good games at home. We're putting, like, Clemson could be a a premier home game for us on our schedule next year, but instead, no, no. We're going to play it in Atlanta. So exciting. I'm sorry, man. I I know a lot of you probably live in Atlanta, around Atlanta, and you love Atlanta. I'm not trying to kill Atlanta here. I'm just saying if you're going to have a Georgia football game in the state of Georgia, have it in Athens. It's such a better experience. It's a real college town, a real college experience. When you play in Atlanta, it doesn't feel like a college football game to me. And I know that's just me. Maybe that's just me. But I like the feel of a college football game, and it does not feel like a college football game when we play them in Atlanta. I get it for an SEC championship game, for a playoff game. I understand it, and I can live with that, but not for regular season games. Come on, guys. We need to play that game in Athens, play at Clemson, and I know that we will in the future, but this year, it sucks. I hate that, man. I really hate opening the season. I love that we're opening the season with a big opponent in Clemson, but I hate that it's in Atlanta. I mean, guys, we could feasibly play in Atlanta... Three, maybe even four times, if we end up playing in the Peach Bowl. Like if you play Clemson in Atlanta, open the season, you play in the SEC Championship game. Maybe we'll see what happens. You play in the SEC Championship game, then maybe throughout the playoffs in one of those bowls, you end up in the you end up in the Peach Bowl and the national championship next year is in Atlanta. We could feasibly play in Mercedes-Benz Stadium four times next year, and that should never happen. But last thing I will say here on the schedule, it's tough. I'm not going to lie, it is tough, and I think that. We might be seeing the dawn of a new era in college football. We know that we are, but we might be seeing a situation where with all these teams going to the Big Ten, with USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington going to the Big Ten, Texas, Oklahoma coming here to the SEC. We'll see what happens to Florida State. I think the days, and one of our listeners sent this question in earlier this week, and I agree with it, and it's something that's been on my mind. I think that the days of teams going undefeated are potentially behind us. I'm not going to say there's not going to be 18 that can go undefeated in the regular season. I, those, that's going to happen every now and then, but I don't think it's going to be as common as it has been in recent years. I don't think you're going to see you know, three or four teams go through their conference schedules, through their regular season schedule, unscathed. You might get one, maybe two, but I don't think you're going to see like as many as we had this year. And I also think you're going to see an era where having maybe two losses isn't a death blow to your playoff changes now with the expanded playoff and also just playing more good games more tough opponents you can potentially lose two games and still probably get into the playoff if you win the right games and you lose the right games i mean if you lose to vanderbilt or something that's probably going to kill you but uh, you know if we split next year against texas and alabama and then we, we beat clemson and we end up like 10 and 2 We've we've got to be in the college playoff. I mean, I know it depends on what happens also around the country, of course. But I would have I would be very hard pressed to imagine a scenario where at ten and two with that schedule next year, which no one can complain about, how would we not be in the college playoff? Because if if we are not in the college playoff, we go ten and two next year. I say burn the whole thing to the ground. Now, I'm not saying that I think we're going to go 10-2. and two. I'm not ready to make a prediction yet because I don't know what our roster is going to look like next year. That's still very much in flux right now. That prediction will be coming later on. It will come, but it's just not right now. But I'm just saying like if we go 10-2, and two, which could be a reasonable projection with next year's schedule, we sure as hell better be in the 12th team playoff. I'll say that. Because if not, your boy is going to riot. But all right, guys, those are my quick thoughts on the 2024 Georgia football schedule. Before we move on to a couple other things, I do want to take a quick break and remind you about our great friends at MyBookie. No, we don't have any picks for you this week because I guess there's an Army-Navy game, but there's not a a slate of football games, but we will be back next week with part one of our bowl picks. We're going to pick the bowls the first couple weeks of of the bowl season, and then part two will be a couple weeks later when we pick the back half of the bowl season. So we still have games to pick, which means you also still have games to bet on and opportunities to line your pockets this holiday season. All you have to do to make that possible is go to mybookie.ag and sign up for a Brand new account. When you do, use our code UGA to get a 50% bonus on that first deposit. It's tough to beat that, guys. It's free cashier to play with. So to me, it's a no brainer. So if you've been on the fence, now is your last chance. This month of December is your last ch- chance to jump off the fence and use all the knowledge you gained this season watching all these teams. Put that to use at my bookie against mybookie.ag promo code UGA so you can bet anything anytime anywhere only with mybookie All right, guys, for this next segment, I want to move to the transfer portal. We have, according to my calculations at this point, as I sit here right now, 12... Players that have entered the transfer portal to date. And here are the names that I've got for you: Darius Smith, Jonathan Jefferson, Brock Vanegriff, CJ Madden, Jackson Meeks, Austin Blasky, Jared Zirkel, EJ Lightsey, Makai Muse hit the portal today, Nylon Green, Xavier Sori hit the portal today, and Jameer Moten, who was like a walk-on DB. Throughout this week, I have gotten a lot of questions from listeners regarding who I thought would A, transfer out, and B, declare early for the NFL draft and potentially opt out of the Orange Bowl against Florida State. As of right now, I think most of the guys that are going to hit the portal have already done so. At least the guys that were going to hit the portal in this December window, there are a few guys that have been contemplating it, but I think they're going to wait it out and they're going to go through spring practice and see if they can kind of make a move and kind of see where they are positioned on the depth chart coming out of spring practice. But remember, the transfer portal opens up again following spring practice. So we can have another wave of guys that enter the portal after the spring if they don't feel like they're going to be in position for playing time next year. So this is almost certainly an incomplete list, but in terms of guys that are going to enter the portal this window, this December, I think we've probably heard most of those names. There might be another guy or two that pops in there, but these are most of the names that I was expecting to enter the portal and most of the guys that I was told were likely going to enter the portal following the season. So I think we're in in good shape here. I mean, if you look at those names, I mean, yeah, losing a guy like Brock Vandegrift, that's not something you want to see. I still believe that Brock's a very talented football player and him going not just to another team, but going to another team in the SEC that we will be playing next year. Now, I can't say an SEC East team because the SEC East no longer exists, but Vandegrift is certainly the headliner to this point with the guys transferring out of our program. A couple other guys that I, I think we might miss a little bit. Mackay Muse was a little bit of a surprise to me. I wasn't expecting his name. He was not a name that I had been told to watch. But if you think about it, I kind of get it. This is a guy that he, he fills a role for us as a special teams guy, as a returner. And he would get a few snaps to game of receiver. We primarily were just using him in the screen game of receiver, especially as the season progressed. And he's a guy that probably sees himself as a, as a player who can be a full-time wide receiver. And he wants to go find a place where, that's possible for him. So I get it, I don't begrudge him for that. Now how much of a loss is that? I think it hurts to a degree because he is the best return man that we've had in a while. I mean, Ladd did a nice job for us last year, but Makai is a different level returner. He's, he's got that vision. He's got that ability to just find the lane. That it, It's kind of innate. You don't really teach that in most guys. So he did a really good job for us in that role this year. So I hate to see him go, but we have a bunch of guys that can fill that role. You guys saw Anthony Evans in the SEC Championship game. That dude is a return threat big time. It's always Yazid Haynes, another freshman. He's a guy that could, that could certainly return kicks, return punts as well. Dominic Lovett would be a great punt returner. He was for Missouri. He could play that role as well. So we have a number of options. I don't think that's that's certainly not like a a loss that's going to cost us a shot at a national championship or anything like that, but it's a guy that personally I would have liked to have seen stick around, but I get why he's transferred around. I certainly wish him the best. The other name outside of Vandegrift and Muse that kind of catches my attention is Xavier Sori. This is not something that was completely out of the blue. I I thought he would be a guy that had a chance to transfer. I was hopeful that he would stick around because I still believe he's a talented football player. In a lot of ways, it's kind of like Jalen Walker. I think in some regard, we kind of stunted his development because when he first got here, we were trying to decide, is he an outside backer? Is he an inside backer? Eventually, we settled an inside backer. And that's essentially where he's played the last two years. But he's kind of like Jalen Walker in that he has some pasteur skills. I mean, he was rushing off the edge a lot in high school. And you just kind of want to see what his bite did and how he developed. But I think that uncertainty early in his career kind of set him back a little bit. And he did have a role on our defense in the, in the dying package early in the season, coming on the field with Jalen Walker, kind of rushing the passer and his ability to, to, to rush the passer, also play comfortably in space. And he's a good athlete, but then he dealt with some personal issues, which you know, probably don't need to go too much in detail here. He's just dealing with some issues. And he didn't play for a big chunk of the season and then like it was crazy to see him thrown out there in the SEC championship game after he hadn't played for basically two months I get why we did because the freshman linebackers were struggling some uh, particularly Raylan Wilson and just knowing what to do because you know, they're they're young guys and Zavian's at least been in the system for a long time So I was happy for him to get a chance to get back out there in a big game like that. Somewhat surprising, yes, we hadn't seen him in a long time. And I was also hopeful that maybe this means that maybe he's going to come back next year. He's a guy that I think you're a better team when you have a guy like that on your roster. But again, considering the personal issues that he did deal with earlier in the season, it's certainly not surprising that he decided to enter the transfer portal. I would love to keep him on the roster, but he's also not a guy that is going to keep us from winning a national championship because we are absolutely loaded from a talent standpoint in that inside linebacker room. And there's still a really good chance that Smile Munden and or Pop Dumas Johnson could come back this year. I mean, guys, Smile might not play in the Orange Bowl. That dude is way more banged up than I think the average Georgia fan realizes. He's been out there just being a warrior for us because he knows that we needed him. And he also didn't have a banner year i don't think he was as good for us this year as he was last year and injuries were the primary reason for that he was hurt early in the year he was hurt in the back half of the year and i don't think he ever really got his feet under him this year the way that he did last year and pop dumas johnson also you know breaking his forearm and prior to that i mean a lot like smile wasn't having the same caliber year that he had a year ago i think both those guys if they declared early they would get drafted But if they come back, I think they stand a really strong chance of improving their draft stock pretty significantly. I think Smile Munden has first-round potential. I just don't think it's going to be a first-round draft pick this year with how this year went. So, there's a really good chance both those guys come back. So we're fine losing sorry. In fact, losing Sorry might be an indicator that maybe those guys are coming back or it just might be that, you know, he was in leave all along anyway. I don't know exactly what to read into that. Austin Blasky is another guy that I would have loved to have kept around because he's been here for so long. And he, this is a guy that was in the thick of that battle with Ernest Green for the starting left tackle job all through fall camp, all through spring practice. I mean, it was neck and neck for a long time. Obviously, eventually Ernest Green won that job. But an injury to Blasky, in fall camp played a large role in that and so he missed the you know early part of the year and dealt with another injury later in the year and he just never really got any traction didn't really get to see much time there at that spot but I was hopeful that he would come back because probably what's going to happen next year is Ernest Green's going to play left tackle and we're going to insert former five-star Monroe Freeling into right tackle. And I thought when Monroe got a chance to play this year, I thought he did a really, really nice job. It had been really nice to have a guy like Austin Blasky, a veteran body like that, who you can trust to fill in if there's an injury to somebody. Because we've seen, how many injuries have we seen on the offensive line in the past couple of years? I would have loved to have kept him for a, from a depth standpoint, but just like with Sori, just like with Muse, I mean, him not being on the team next year is not going to, probably, probably is not going to keep us from winning a, a national championship or, or getting back to the college football playoff. But it's just been a really nice insurance policy, certainly to have there to back up both Freeling, who in my opinion will start at right tackle, and Ernest Green, who will almost certainly start again at left tackle next year. But outside of those names, everyone else who transferred, I get it. And I don't think they're much of a loss. I'm not trying to insult them as players. I'm just saying like these guys, talking about Jonathan Jefferson, Darius Smith, Jackson Meeks, CJ Madden, they've never really been contributors for us. So it makes sense why they're leaving. And it, in my opinion, doesn't really change our outlook for next year. Now, on the other side of the transfer portal, because we know the transfer portal may take it but it will also giveth. There are a couple of names that I very much want us to get involved, at least get involved with, and hopefully land. I think next week when more of the dust settles around the country and all these guys have entered the portal in this window, at least the guys are going to enter the portal in this window when when they do so, my plan, at least right now, is to get on here and do a transfer portal wish list and rank those guys based on which players I want the most. But the big name that hit today was Trevor Etienne from Florida who I think is a dynamic running back and we are heavily involved they're heavily in the mix we recruited him out of high school and we were involved at that point but he ends up going to Florida and this guy is explosive he is twitchy and he's also versatile he can also be a threat out of the backfield as a receiver which is something we sorely missed this year in my opinion offensively now it is an interesting situation because If he wants to come to Georgia, he's the type of talent that you almost cannot say no to. He's a proven player, a proven explosive playmaker in the SEC. How can you tell that guy no? But then on the other hand... You have three studs coming in in this 2024 recruiting class with Nate Frazier, who's the top running back in the country, Bowens, who I love, and then Dwight Phillips Jr., who is extraordinarily explosive, very fast, about as fast a running back as we maybe have ever had, although Keith Marshall might want a word. You wonder if you take a guy like ETN, does that alienate one of those guys, does a guy like Nate Frazier who's from all the way out in the West Coast in California? Does that make him start looking around? Maybe he's going to look back at Oregon who was recruiting him really heavily back when he was still uncommitted? And that's a question our coaching staff is going to have to answer. You have to weigh the risk versus the rewards. I think you take Etienne because, again, he is a proven playmaker in the SEC. He can give us something in the backfield that we currently do not have. I'm very excited about a healthy Branson-Robinson extra. I think that guy is going to have a monster year for us. But – ETN's a very different back than Branson. Branson's a bigger physical guy that's got great feet and great speed for a guy his size, but he's not that threat out of the backfield that I think ETN can be in the pass game. And just again, the versatility he brings to the table, he's a change of pace from what Branson would bring us. So having that one two-punch, guys, you know we you get injuries in the SEC at that position. I mean, think about the situation that we were in at that position this year guys and we had to take Dylan Bell who is a fantastic receiver and we had to move that guy at least part-time to running back to go along with at least early this season Dejan Edwards and Cash Jones at times you almost cannot have enough big-time backs in the SEC now the thing is do the other players see it that way how do they feel about that and that's the question again the coaches have to they have to answer that but as far as I'm concerned, he's 1 million percent a take if he does indeed want to come to Georgia, which right now, that seems to be where the winds are blowing. We already talked about the Vanderbilt freshman wide receiver, London Humphreys, who was the guy that scored that touchdown against us on that opening drive on that broken play, that broken coverage by Tyke Smith. We talked about him on the on the mailbag episode earlier this week. I still very much want him. He will be here in Athens. I think he actually is maybe here right now, but he'll be here this weekend. But there's another receiver from Vanderbilt that hit the portal I think maybe Wednesday, maybe Tuesday. And that's Will Shepard, who has been Vanderbilt's leading receiver for the past two seasons. Last year, I got, well, can we say last year No, I guess we can still say 2022 is still last year. I guess so, we'll go with that. Last year, he was a thousand yard guy. Now this year, he only ended up with 47 catches for 684. But when you consider the quarterback situation that Vanderbilt had to deal with this year, it's a minor miracle the guy got to 684, to be honest with you. He is a legit number one receiver in the SEC. I mean, he's an X. He is that kind of guy. I would love to get in on this guy. I mean, I don't know where he's leaning right now. I don't know, but I would love for us to at least spin the tires there and see what happens because that guy, if you can land him and Humphreys, I think we need two receivers in the portal this year. I think at least two. I think two is probably the number, but Humphreys is a guy that I feel like we're going to get, and then who's that next guy going to be? Is it going to be Will Shepard? Could it be Antoine Juice-Wells from South Carolina? If I had to, my, had to pick between, if I had my choice between shepherd and wells i think i would go shepherd because so we have guys on the roster right now that are more in line with the skill set that juice wells brings to the table i mean that's kind of like more or less what dominic lovett is shepherd's different man i mean he's a big body dude with good speed good athleticism strong hands knows how to run routes I mean, again at vanderbilt this guy put up a thousand yards with the quarterback situation they had the past couple years that guy is a legit number one dude in the sec so i would go after him hard and heavy so there are a couple of names obviously there's some defensive linemen out there but again I'm gonna do an episode next week we are kind of rank them so we'll save the rest of, of that conversation for next week but real quick before we get to the final little segment that I want to go through I do want to remind you one more time about our friends at Alumni Hall guys we are what three weeks away from Christmas if you are looking to get the loved ones in your life the Georgia fans in your life the best gifts possible if you want to put a smile on their face there's no better place to go and pick up their gifts than alumni hall because they have everything a Georgia fan could possibly dream of they've got the cold weather gear the warm weather gear they've got hats they've got beanies to keep your head warm they've got home and office decor they've got stuff for your yard they've got stuff for your car they've got a great men's selection women's selection kids selection You name it, they've got it. So stop in today inside the Etch Spirit Shopping Center here in Athens or online at alumnihall.com because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. All right, guys, the last thing that I want to touch on today are potential opt-outs, potential early NFL draft declarations. I'm sure a lot of you have heard the rumors over the past couple of days that Lad McConkey might not be as much of a guarantee to declare early for the draft as maybe was once previously thought. Here's what I have on that. What's going on with Lab is he's thinking through a couple of things. First off, he dealt with injuries all year long. At no point was Ladd McConkey fully healthy. At no point we see the Lab McConkey that we know and love. Now, there were games where he was more healthy than others, but at no point was he fully healthy this year. Just never happened for Ladd. I mean he was barely practicing most of the season in fact that was the case most of last year too, at least the back half of last year so he's dealt a lot of injuries the past year and a half and with the nature of the injury that kept him out for the first part of the year the back injury that raises some questions in NFL draft circles because back injuries guys as I talked about all year they are notoriously unreliable you think you're fixed but you're not they they pop up and they crop back up at random points you can do everything right but they just they hit you again they come back from nowhere and it, it's tough man it's really tough to deal with and when you get a back injury like that I mean it's it's tough to overcome I mean, you need months not weeks off so I, there's probably some questions in the NFL right now about all right now we know this guy is a really good football player but Does the back injury scare us off? He's still on our board, but do we we push him down our board? Does it hurt his draft stock? Does he need to come back for another year and show that he can be healthy for a full year and he's completely recovered from any sort of back issue that he was dealing with? So that's part of it. The other part of it is the competitor in Lad McConkie, the kid that loves University of Georgia, who doesn't like the way that this year went, has a sour taste in his mouth, because as he played about half the year, right, I mean, he missed about half the year with various injuries, and to be in the SEC championship game, and to go out there and do everything you can to play for your team, but not be a a shell of who you really are as a football player, and to not be able to contribute to a victory the way that you feel like you wanted to, and to have that feeling of walking off that field with a loss, and what, what, people thinking probably your final game as a Georgia Bulldog after you won back-to-back national titles, I can see how that doesn't sit well with somebody. I can tell you right now, Tate Ratlidge is having a lot of the same feelings as well in that regard. I thought both Tate and Ladd were surely gone to the NFL. Like I thought they were like guaranteed they're off. There was no chance they were coming back. Now I think that door is open a little bit more. Now I am not sitting here telling you that they are coming back. I'm not sitting here definitively saying that. Please hear me when I say that. I'm not trying to like, build up your hopes, so just take this with a grain of salt. I think what's going on with both those guys right now is that they're at least thinking about it harder than I thought that they would. Now, they still very well could go pro and probably will, to be honest with you, but they're thinking about it. They're considering staying, which I didn't think either guy was really going to do prior to the, the, how the season ended. Throughout this week, I've got a lot of DMs from people asking me about my thoughts on like who's going to declare early, who's going to opt out, and like some people were asking me, hey, man, can you give me like a percentage chance this guy is gone or, or whatnot? And so I'll I'll do that. I mean, I'm just kind of making up numbers here. I don't, you don't really know. You're not, I'm not talking to these guys. I'm getting some things from people I know. But I'll say Lad, I previously would have said there's probably like a, a 1% chance he comes back. But now I'd say there's maybe a 25% chance Lad McConkey returns, which, I mean, yeah, it's more likely than not. That he still does go pro, but I think there's a decent chance that he could return this year based off the reason I just laid out. With Tate, I think it's 50-50 with Tate, to be honest with you, because he's not a surefire first-round guy. I mean, Ladd isn't either. Um, but I think Tate's another guy who could come back and probably boost his draft stock some, and in the process maybe get us back in the playoff, maybe get that third national title. I think that's certainly weighing on his mind right now. So I would say, well, like no in, super inside knowledge on this, but I would say like 50-50 would be my guess on where Tate is right now. Marius Mims, I would say point zero 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 one percent chance he comes back to Georgia next year I mean he is the one guy in on our roster right now outside of Brock Bowers we know Brock is a surefire first rounder but outside of Brock he is the other guy that I would say is a surefire first round draft pick now the only thing with with Amarius is that he really doesn't have a ton of tape but I still think I mean he's if, if they're telling you you have a first round grade I don't think he comes back so if he comes back what's he do he, he improves for me like maybe a a top twenty pick, maybe a top ten pick. And yeah, that's a little bit more money, but you're also delaying your your income earning for another full year. So you get to weigh that. I, I think he's gone. I mean, that that would be my prediction right now. I would say largely the same thing with Brock Bowers. Now, I I do think there is a slightly better chance that Brock could return than Marius Mims. And the reason I say that it's just like the Nick Chubb effect because I've always felt like Nick and Brock were kind of cut from the same cloth. Those guys just. Put their head down, go to work, work their butts off. Or legendary for their work ethic, and they don't ever talk. They just they just play, man. They play and they make plays, and they love their team. They put it on the line for their team. And Nick came back for. I mean, it wasn't just because he loved Georgia and wanted to help put Georgia in the, in, the, in a good spot. He also you know wanted to improve his draft stock. But with Brock, I don't know how much he can improve his draft stock. So I I'm pretty sure Brock's gone. But there's at least a a slight chance. That he, it just doesn't sit well with him how the year ended and dealing with the injury and not being able to help us get back to the college playoff and get that three P because he's a competitor he does love his teammates he does love Georgia so there, there's that possibility I'd still say with him it's like a a one percent chance maybe Kamari Laster is another guy that I think's gone I would say Kamari Laster maybe five percent chance that he comes back I'm pretty sure he's gonna be gone he's getting late first round buzz right now so if that's the case he's he's gone Javon Bullard at safety is a very interesting prospect because on one hand Javon's not going to get any bigger he's not getting any faster which are some of the knocks on him in terms of his ability as an NFL prospect he's a safety all the way in the NFL because to be like a a slot defender a slot DB in the NFL I'm not an NFL guy but I watch enough to know this you typically have to be like kind of a freakish athlete because you're covering guys in the slot you're covering guys like Tyreek Hill in the slot, right, and they get a free release. You can't really bump, bump and run on the on on the line there because they're playing off the line of scrimmage. You've got to be a dude as an athlete. And as good as Javon is, he's not that level of athlete. He is more of a safety, and which is a big part of why we moved him to that spot this year because that's where his NFL future is going to lie. Javon is not going to be a first round draft pick. Javon probably won't be a second round draft. Pick. Again, I'm not an NFL guy, so I don't I, I don't take my word for that, but. I don't think that's what Javon is right now. So the question becomes, Right, does he just go ahead and go to the NFL, declare, start playing, try to get that contract and get started on, on getting towards that second contract, which is where you make your real money if you're not drafting the first round? Does he want to go ahead and do that? Or does he think, you know coming back another year, putting more safety film on tape, because he only has a year of safety film on tape. Does he come back for another year and put more film on tape, Have a big year for us next year and maybe enhance his draft stock some. Maybe move up to like a second round guy. I don't think Javon will ever be a first round guy. Maybe move up to like a second round type guy where he makes himself some money. I think there's a decent chance that's the case. So with Javon, I would go like a forty percent chance that he comes back. I I still think I would say he's he I would lean towards him going pro right now. He did put out a tweet after the game, I think Sunday, and it, it was it was somewhat mysterious and ambiguous, and it was like him on the field, and there weren't any like direct insinuations that he was going to be declaring for the draft, but it was something along the lines of, like, you know, I thank God for all my opportunities, something like that. So it was kind of like, huh, like, what should I read into this? I don't know. It certainly wasn't, at best, it was a hint that he might be declaring for the NFL draft, but I, you kind of have to read into that to take that away from that. But I think the longer we go without him declaring, I think, the chances improve that he will come back next year. So I don't think it's quite 50-50. I would still lean towards him going pro because again, he's not gonna get bigger. He's not gonna get get any faster. He is who he is from a physical standpoint. So I'd still lean a little bit more towards him going pro, but I think there's a really strong chance he would come back as well. Now talk about burying the lead. Carson Beck. This is the guy I've gotten the majority of my questions on this week in terms of my NFL draft declarations, potential NFL draft declarations. And this is one right now looks like he is more likely to return next year than declare for the NFL draft. Now what he's getting more or less are like late first round, early second round projections. So he's got a decision to make. Do I go ahead and take that money, which is going to be good money for him, whether it's late first round, early second round, whatever it might be. And again, go ahead and start working towards my second contract where I can make that big money. Or do I come back to Georgia and have a second year as a starter, and put together potentially an even better year than I did my first year as a starter in some big time games, some big prime time games at Texas, at Alabama, at Ole Miss, Clemson, and then enter the NFL draft next year with a vastly inferior quarterback class compared to who he would be going up against this year. He has a chance, as I've said this many times this year, I believe he has a chance to be the number one overall draft pick next year if he does indeed come back. Now, that's there's no guarantee there, but I think with a big year, which I think if he came back, he would have a big year, and with that quarterback draft class, which is just not the caliber of quarterback draft class as there is this year, I think he would have a shot to be the number one overall draft pick. Certainly, I, I think a very good chance of being a top 10 draft pick, and that's a lot of money. When you talk being a late first-round draft pick, early second-round pick, to being top 10, potentially number one overall, that's a lot of money. So I think that is something that certainly weighs in our favor. And also, again, the way that the season ended, I think this guy is a competitor. I think he also wants to come back and win his own ring. So based off of that logic and based off what I've been hearing about Carson— Right now, I would say there's a 75% chance that Carson Beck comes back. I don't wanna go higher than that because these things change. And guys, right now, he's leaning towards coming back. I'm just gonna say that. But these things change. And so you you never know for sure, for sure, especially a guy like Carson Beck, who could be a a first round type guy. So it's not a done deal or anything like that. So I'm gonna say 75%, but I feel strongly that there's a better chance than not that Carson does come back for a second year as a starter at Georgia, which would be absolutely Massive for us. I mean, think about that, guys. Going into Tuscaloosa, going into Austin with Carson Beck, as opposed to maybe Gunnar Stockton, who I think is gonna be a good player, but I mean we don't know right now, right? The unknowns there, or maybe one of the freshmen. There's a lot of unknowns there. with Carson, we know, we know, and the dude's only gonna get better. So I will leave you guys with that when I want to end this on a good note. But I appreciate you guys being here. Again, it's weird not having a game to preview. It's weird not having games to pick after three months of doing so, three months of a grind, but uh, I still want to get on here and give you guys some content anyway. We will be back with a couple episodes next week. Charlie will be back with me at the end of next week for part one of our bowl picks. so a lot of great stuff to look forward to, even though we're not in the playoff, which... Still not over, Um, don't know when or if, I will get over that, I guess eventually I will, just don't know when that's going to happen, but uh, I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend, whatever you end up doing, hope you guys have a great weekend, I'm Tyler, and of course, as always, go Dawgs!